Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns-Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Today, Smooshie and I are together, and we're talking about truthfulness because it's been coming up an awful lot in our conversations. Hope you enjoy it. See what you unpack from it in your lives. Smooshy, it's so good to be back together with you again. It always is, Smooshy. It's sometimes kind of nice to have a conversation for two. Yeah. I feel like it's been such a long time since we've had a chance to connect and do one of our deep dives. What's been happening with you, Smooshy? What's on your mind? Well, I think it's so interesting that you suggested that we talk about truthfulness today because I was thinking about it last night and there's so many facets to truthfulness because there is the truth and then there is the perception of the truth and then there's my truth and your truth and somebody else's Mm -hmm. truth as a perception Mm -hmm. and then there is what you were talking about, which is lore Mm. in relation with truth. So it's like truth is a singular point, but how do we get so, like, how do we have so many different interpretations of it? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of my favorite subjects. I feel like truth is difficult to address if we don't know how to address what is reality. Mm. And, you know, I love talking about my own kind of understanding of lore, you know, the mythologies that we've all inherited that deeply affect how we perceive things. And wait, so you're saying, you're saying depending on the lore that we inherit or that we believe in, Hmm. determines how we how we decide if something is truth or not? Yes. Even before we say we decide, we are already drawn towards different emblems and aspects that are actually derivatives of our incredibly long history of surviving. Wow. So if we are a single species that have spent the majority of our existence and survival. It has influenced the way our brain has developed, our chemistry has developed, so that everything about us so far is driven by our need to survive. This is such a setup. It's such a setup. And so we inherit lore. That's why, for example, um, we need to start addressing How do we independently investigate truth as individuals if we're really inheriting a boatload of mythology about what is a human, what I am, who I am, what I'm here for, and therefore, what is the rest of the world? In fact, what is the rest of the universe to me? So it's not just about truth, then. It's really about your reality. Yes, but if we don't yet know, if we haven't unpacked 
what a human being is, what reality is. How in the world can we be held accountable for being truthful? And, um, you know, I was sharing with you last weekend, we had a big family gathering. And um, as you know, my family, we are like Lego pieces that fit together perfectly imperfect from every culture, different religions, races, every shade. And that's my family. But we always seem to agree. Like if we get into a deep conversation, we agree on our basic concept of reality and purpose. And so we were talking about truthfulness because of some events that had happened uh, recently that were in the newspaper. And as I was listening to everybody, what they were emphasizing is the importance of being truthful. And I was like, yeah, but why can we come to this understanding so quickly together? And why doesn't the world do that? Like, why don't we have an active United Nations? Why don't we have a world tribunal? With all the crises we've had so far, even just within the last two years, world crises, you know, health crises, economic crises, political crises, leadership crises. Why is it that we don't have a basic premise yet? Why don't we agree what is reality, what we need, what is a human right, and then actually activate that and make truthfulness and accountability for truth our standard, like as a basic footprint, it wouldn't be so difficult to do that today. Mm. So on my end, why I started thinking about it, I was like, my gosh, I am sure that if people could explore lore as a concept, we'd be so close to all coming to a much more identifiable, agreed form of truthfulness. And now we could also hold ourselves by the same standards. And I think that's why we don't agree politically, is people secretly hold their lore. So essentially, whatever you believe, your beliefs are your shape your reality. So if you believe that things are a certain way or that they're always going to be a certain way or this is what it is here, does that shape what your reality is and then in turn determine what your lore is and what you believe or, well, not what your lore is. Mm. I guess it starts with the lore. But I mean, mm. if, if I live in the belief that that we're never going to be equal, for example, like let's say some lofty thing or that there's never going to be world peace, like that's impossible here, whatever that means. Yeah. Then does that become my reality? Your reality and how you influence the reality around you. Every single person you mm. interact with and intersect with, you actually carry those beliefs in the exchange. Mm. So the lore you have, even if it's personal lore, I mean like, feminine lore and how the feminine has not been evaluated collectively as equal to the contributions of the masculine. So that we see that evinced in every interaction in our economic, you know, like who holds the powers, whereas the majority of our monies, our wealth, our leadership, still predominantly worldwide, it's in the hands of the masculine. And so 
What does that do when the lore behind it is still operating, that our contributions are not seen as equal? Mm. So then you inherit it. The next child born, male or female, is going to carry forward the lore they inherited unconsciously, even if they're a quote-unquote good person, because it'll come out unconsciously. And that's why I think we have so much difficulty talking about truthfulness. Because how do you evaluate if a person's being truthful? And if a person is truthful to the best of their abilities of assessing reality, isn't that all we can ever do? Yeah. Wow. So if enough people change the belief about something, if enough people believe something different then that's the only time when something can be a reality. But is it enough to just believe it, or do you have to get to the core and change the lore about it? Well, first of all, eliminating the fear of investigating reality. You know how you were saying in the beginning today about single-pointed reality? Mm -hmm. If we truly understood that reality is single, just from multiple perspectives, I think we'd already then have the courage or begin to consider what it would take and the courage to explore truth for ourselves instead of being handed down what our ancestors believe, our parents and our grandparents and Mm -hmm. the communities we grow up in. We have to examine, is this the truth? Or is this someone's distortion or perception of truth? Mm-hmm. Because then our interactions, even for example, you know how we're at such odds in relationships. Yeah. If you interview people, you know, around the planet, what they think about relationships or the primary relationship marriage, there is an awful lot of questioning about the hopefulness behind it. Whenever I ask people about it, the biggest thing they worry about is truthfulness. How will I know if my mate's going to be truthful with me? Yeah, because it's the foundation, truthfulness. Mm-hmm. It's the foundation. How can you have a relationship with anyone if there's no real truthfulness? But is truthfulness the same thing as being, for example, rude? Like some people say, well, You are blah, blah, blah. That's the truth. Hmm. Just because someone says the words, that's the truth behind it, that doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. It might mean that they're hurt. It might mean that they're angry. It might mean that they use that to be manipulative. It might mean that it's a power play. Yeah. Well, that's the tricky thing. We've talked about projection so much. So somebody projects onto you that you're not truthful How do you know? Because the truth, I mean, it's not really abstract. It's just like a singular thing, but we've made it so complicated. But how about when there's times when somebody's telling you something and you know it's not the truth, like you feel (sighs) it? Or when somebody tells you something about you, you don't know whether it's true or not, but it wrangles you. How do you determine what is and what's not? Well, that's why we have to start really getting in touch with our core reality. Because the only way to understand our collective differences 
and make them our greatest asset is to have a common thread of truth. So, you know, I love thinking about the universality of the concept of the creator. So not a single person on this planet can say they created the others. So we have that in common. Mm -hmm. Like, let's start with our common truth and reality. And now where do we sit in that enormity? Mm -hmm. We're only at best like a hundred years, a hundred and some years. That's the best we can ever exercise our influence here. But Smushi, even that isn't, I mean, some people don't believe that a creator created everything. It doesn't matter. We can have that in common too. We could have explorers of reality, but we have to be curious. So ultimately, a person, if they're introduced to the stars, the planets, mathematics, is there a highest number? Is there an end to the highest number? After the highest number is another highest number. Even in what we discovered in uh, chemistry in the periodic table of elements, where we have so many atoms to describe each element, Mm -hmm. what have they decided now? They've decided that there's still other elements to be uncovered. So in relativity, we are finite, and the universe around us is infinite. That's enough to start right there. I think if we could at least establish we are finite and the infinite coexists, then we could start asking some basic questions. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a tremendous amount of fear that lingers about asking the truth because we would have to change. Mm. And change is something people are always resisting. Yes. We get comfortable with what we inherit. So even, for example, when you inherit a position where you are the entitled of the planet, we don't like to explore those who are not born with that entitlement. Mm -hmm. Or people who are not born with entitlement also have to explore what would it look like if I transcend the perceived boundary I inherited. What if I am more than I ever dreamt I was, more than my ancestors dreamt that we were? So she, what was that speech Mandela gave at his inauguration? Like something to the effect of, we're not afraid of failure. What we are afraid of is our success or that we are greater than we thought we were. Mm -hmm. I know I'm paraphrasing that hideously. Please forgive me, listeners. Um, But look it up (laughs) so you can see the real thing. It's so extraordinarily inspiring. And it's really addressing the lore we inherit. Yeah. Because all of us have inherited nothing but history. So wouldn't it be just exciting if starting from early grade school, early education and grade school and uh, high school and higher education, if all of that was available and what was encouraged is exploring what has been established as truth and reality, and then exploring what has not yet been established. And if all that was allowed, what an extraordinary dialogue we would have every day with our friends. We really wouldn't have time for backbiting, manipulation, and power plays, you know? Yeah. You'd be so inspired with discovering our reality. Yeah, Mandela said that 
Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Mm. In a nutshell. Well, how do we get from here to there, Smushi? What do you think? Uh, Well, first of all, I know that it's contagious. Like anytime there has been a person that's, that has gone into hyperspace from where they came from to where, you know, who has transformed their circumstance or their inheritance, so to speak, that it just is sort of like this thing that ripples through the world. You know, it's this inspiring moment where you're like, wow, if somebody can do that, then I can do that too, or, mm. or it's possible. And so this is the thing that is so fascinating to me is, I mean, even the idea of critical mass, you know, the fact that if enough people believe in something, that it can become a reality is kind of fascinating to me. It, it's like it really just starts with our thoughts So it's like, do we dare to think different? Do we dare to think beyond what we've been taught to think or what we've been indoctrinated to think? And, you know, why isn't it possible? And then it's always really interesting to me why people get really upset about it or angered by thoughts. You know, it's like, that's so stupid. Like, why would you think that? And it's like, Mm. but why? Why don't we have the freedom to explore our beliefs and thoughts and because it it is so personal what each of us think we're here to do or why we feel like we're each here and what if that has nothing to do with where we came from or who we came from or what we are really designed to become because How are we going to ever achieve our great destinies if we don't explore that very thing? I I love what you're saying, especially how it removes even how daunting it is that we've been a prescribed vision, like it's been set. This is what we are here to do. A lot of people inherit this purpose in life. You know, you will grow up, you will become this. You will do this to honor our family without considering the exploration and expansion for the sake of evolution, what that person has been endowed with. And when you hear just one person has challenged that and succeeded, there is no inspiration like it. And you don't care about not only their background or how different they are from you. You also don't care what they've been through along the way. So if they weren't perfect, that doesn't mar it at all. We're not Mm -hmm. looking for a perfect person. We're looking for someone who started out human and evolved. That's what we're looking for, examples of metamorphosis. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I've so enjoyed about this podcast with you is the fact that we've had the privilege of inviting people we know. Some of them have already become known for something they have achieved, but that is not why we want them as guests. We want to unpack the inner dynamics, like how did you go from this to that? Mm -hmm. What is your inner process? Because that's where the courage comes from, to explore your own kind of limitations. And I really feel like everyone has been born 
into a thought prison. Anytime you think I can do this or I can't do this. It's so true. It's so true. But then how do you get out of them, Sushi? Because even like I'm thinking it's funny because I can't help thinking about myself and the the beliefs that keep me prisoner from who I know I want to become or who I know I have the potential to become. But it's so hard. Like, Mm-hmm. Something so simple, I'll share one of my things that I've recently realized keeps me prisoner, so to speak, is I never knew how much value I put in the masculine. Hmm. Like for me, I need like masculine assurance or validation mm-hmm. in order to do mm. what I do. And especially if it comes from like an icon of the masculine, then you know, it means so much to me, like, oh my God, so-and-so acknowledged me or, you know, but all I know is that it comes from something historical that's not mine. But how did you figure that out? This is my question. I admire, first of all, thank you so much for your courage and expressing that because I am sure that there are literally millions of females of every age who are going, Oh my gosh, me too, because that's the standard. Those are the icons of success. All you have to do is be in a group of females having a discussion, even a very important discussion, and a male, any notable male or revered male or respected male, come and interrupt the flow of that conversation. Watch, all the females will accommodate them. Mm-hmm. But vice versa, a group of males, If a female came and interjected something in a very important discussion of males, they will not budge. They will not let her in. They won't even acknowledge what she says. That's how we know it's collective lore about value. I love what you shared. It takes so much courage to identify it. But how do you get past that? Because Mm. even knowing it was such a big deal, right? It's Mm. like, okay, I know this now. But then it becomes so frustrating because it's, what do you do with it? Especially since, as you're saying, I mean, I love that term collective lore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of lore so personally and based on the work that I'm doing, but we do have these collective inequalities, like this lore that we've bought into about equality and and who stands where in society or how. Mm -hmm. It's like if you're just one person that's trying to challenge these larger lores Mm -hmm. of society, how do you do that without any support? How do you become that belief system and how do you become that reality Mm. without any support? Well, of course, every road is deeply personal, deeply So it starts with awareness. That's why I love talking about it. And, you know, the concept of lore and core lore, you know, the mythology about our core reality is something I talked about in my first book of the oneness model. And that was in 2002. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've had so many conversations. It's about conversations because when I first started to share the concept then with like, businesses and the heads of corporations and people in HR. And I started to discuss what's in the way of productivity. They were like, oh my gosh, 
yes, how do I implement this though? Mm. And in the beginning, nothing. They said nobody even wanted to talk about it. But sort of like a trickle-down theory, it started to change. The more people brought it up, the more people got time to think about it. And if we have time to think about it, it starts generating conversations. And I really do believe that as insignificant as people think meaningful conversations are, I think they are deeply impactful. Mm -hmm. For example, I was listening to an interview with the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. They interviewed him about him going home after a lot of service and travels. And he was going home to Plum Village in France, where he had set up this community that practices Buddhist teachings. And the interviewer said, Thich Nhat Hanh, do you ever get irritable anymore? Like, here you are, you're the one who is our mentor. Can a person irritate you when you go and you're back in a community? And he said, absolutely. And they were kind of mortified. I don't think they wanted him to say that as the answer. And they inquired, well, what do you do about it? And he said, what do I do? I do what I teach everyone. I go back to basics. Mm. I breathe in, I breathe out. And when I heard him say that, Sushi, I got so moved because I was like, nothing's too difficult to overcome. Mm. I mean, it's still difficult, but no, I know that reminds me of that story I told you of a friend of mine. There's this guy that I kind of came up with and he was always like the player, like always playing, 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 like had like multiple girls all the time. It was always a different situation. And then he got married and you know, seemingly so, even at the beginning of his marriage, it felt like, oh, I don't know if he's actually settled down. But at some point, it felt like there was a turning point. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like he's finally done it. Mm -hmm. And I finally had a moment to connect with him. And I asked him, I was like, so what's been going on? Like, how's everything going? And how are you doing in your marriage? And I had so much respect for him because I thought he was going to say, oh, I'm a born again Christian now or whatever. Like he was going to say, like, I would never do that anymore. Kind of mask the whole thing mm. as if like that's somebody I was of the past. But he told me he was like, I'm still that same person. And that is still a test for me every day. Mm. But he has enough tools now to deal with it. So he was. It was such a great moment for me because I was like, wow, it's never not going to stop being his test. Like that's just his test. He loves women, but he's made this mm. conscious decision and now he works at it every single day so that he could be an honorable, you know, husband and be in that kind of relationship. It was just a nice reminder because I feel like the things that are really difficult for us don't necessarily just stop being difficult. It's just that we find more ways to deal with them. Mm, exactly. If you ask the question, so like in that example, wouldn't you love to interview him and just say, wait, what was your first step in awakening? How did you go from being not in control of the way you perceive the feminine mm. 
how, like, where did your first moment of consciousness come from that moved you into a place of, wait, I want to be in a place of integrity with her. Yes. Where does that go? And then what happens after that moment of integrity? Then you slow everything down into this beautiful dance so that everyone can start to see, wait, there are footprints there. It's evolution isn't wishful thinking. Like you were saying, in fundamentalism, maybe there are people who can take a quantum shift and say, I believe. Because I became a believer, I stop all of that. I'm sure there are people who can make a quantum shift. But most of us, to have a sustainable future in a path of evolution, we need footprints. And we need to slow it down and demystify them. But there are as many complex footprints from core lore as there are unique snowflakes, you know? Mm-hmm. It's an individual path. And I've heard people, for example, I have clients who are, I've had the privilege of working with clients internationally who are in prison. And literally, some are in prison for false reasons, false accusations, because the government does not recognize them. And some have been imprisoned because they did something, but they were ill-prepared for life and didn't even know what the consequences would be. They were just following in the footsteps of what they were taught. And what's amazing to me is when they were first imprisoned, they just were who they were, and they were angry at the injustices. And then they asked questions of themselves. And then they asked questions about reality. Then they started to read. And then they separated themselves from what got them into the same circumstances. And so it became where some of them literally became involved with advocates and ended up being released from prison because of their own quest. Mm. That's so profound to me. Very few of us could survive such injustices. But what injustices have we locked ourselves into on a daily basis, thinking this is just what it is to be a man, or this is just what it is to be a woman, and this is just the way life is? Why? Why do we say that about anything? Because there's so many things that are just the way that they are, and it's like you can only take on so much at a time. But you know how we were talking about today about truthfulness? Well, to thine own self, be true. Start there. Mm -hmm. And if we, instead of imitated, got in touch with what we really have been endowed with each of us, then all of a sudden, you start to wake up the things that inspire you and energize you. Like you're inspired by so many people's stories you've shared with me and how they made their first this and how that led to them meeting someone else. It's the beginning of the journey of the authentic self. And then that becomes a lifelong dance Mm -hmm. because we never get tired of being what we are. And so being truthful starts with if you could be anything in the world and you got to live that reality, what would it be if no one paid you for it, if nobody knew about you on Instagram, if nobody ever said your name, but you got to do this and be this, what would you be tireless about? That's the closest we ever come to discovering what is in our design without lore. 
I think where we get hung up is the how part. Well, how am I going to do that? Yes. What university is going to teach me that? <laughs> and there is no university for this. Unless you start a school. <laughs> ah, Sushi. Well, that's a school of life. Hmm. Um, gosh, I was thinking of something about that, about how no one ever will give you permission to free yourself and to be yourself. Yeah. What would first grade classes look like if we taught that? I think I told you when um, my youngest was in second grade, she had the best class of her entire life was second grade. Mm. It was not only the best class of her life, she would tell you, but it was the best class of my life. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because, oh my gosh, it, it was almost like her teacher created just what we're talking about, a vision for it in utter simplicity and profundity. So the teacher's name was Barnhart. And when you went to class, it said Barnhartville. And she had strings all over the classroom that went by every desk and little cans that all the kids brought in. And those cans became both communication tools And where you could like draw a picture or write a word to bring someone happiness. Your job was to do your classroom work, but also keep a watch on the other kids in Barnhartville. And if someone looked like they had a hard day, you were supposed to send a little note and push it on the string to their desk and then go back to work all day long. Wow. And the kids never got in trouble. She said she had no need for classroom management in her class. Mm. So, and my daughter, as you know, was considered ADD in those days. Um, She could never sit still, but that was an asset in this classroom because she was the one who was most aware of everyone. Mm. And so she was constantly putting hearts on a note saying, you look hungry, and she put a little snack in it and send it along the way, or a comment, what problems are you going to have in a world like that? Yeah. And so imagine that's in second grade. Why couldn't we carry that on Mm. to higher levels as we, you know, move to higher grades, bigger problems? We would have created community instead of exclusivity and bullying, Mm. you know, the beginning of lore. Yeah. And that's the truth. It's the truth. We just need to think so radically different about how Mm. we want our world to look like, how we want everything to look like. Mm. But okay, so I have a question for you. What does that look like? How do we balance the idea that the world is also going to push back and that it's going to be difficult and the process isn't going to be this easy process against these lofty thoughts Mm. that we have like how do we get there because and I think that's the part that makes me tired is that the journey is Mm -hmm. not easy I mean I think that's why we're talking about not just truthfulness but the way of it living it Mm. what does it look like to live it see I think it's so interesting when we talk about this people go to sleep just like you say it makes you tired But if we talk about gardening, which I think is so interesting how so many people now have gone back to little do we know 
out of the necessity to be in touch with the earth, we're getting back into gardening, Mm -hmm. not just flowers, you know, but growing our own food. Now, Mm -hmm. you can go on the internet today and all the do-it-yourself folks are going to break it down. Yeah. What is it you can't grow? What kind of soil do you have? Oh, here's what you do. It's been broken down a million different ways. Why is this different? Because it's new. And also, we don't think it's important. Well, do you know, we didn't think gardening was important either for a while. We wanted just to have lawns in this country and get our food from farmers. Mm -hmm. What's taken us back to the earth? Necessity. Mm. And I think the same is true with this. It's the same with relationships. Like before, people used to just, if you really do think about marriage in history— no matter where you were from, my gosh, females, we were given away by our family for economic reasons. We didn't even know we had the right to get out of a bad marriage or an abusive marriage. And now today we have the freedom here at least to make a choice ourselves, but we don't know how to make good choices. Mm. And that's because history is more familiar. So we keep making poor choices. Based on history. Yeah. We have so much lore, so maybe we start unpacking that. Like, how do you find a good mate? Mm. And what does that look like? And what does it also look like to be a mate? And what would it look like for something sustainable, like a garden? Mm. You know, I was looking up uh, this morning, truthfulness. I was like thinking about what's the difference between truthfulness and trustworthiness Mm. because oftentimes they're intermixed and um, the definition is that truthfulness is defined as telling or expressing the truth and trustworthiness is being reliable as being honest and truthful Mm. so one is having it and the other is expressing it and consistently delivering it And I was like, well, it has to be based on what reality is because we can't just keep allowing, well, that's my truth Mm. because that just creates huge amounts of collision. Yeah, (laughs) there's got to be trust. There has to be the trust. If I know a person's motive is they're being as truthful based on reality as they've been able to take in, Mm. I think I could trust that. I think I can make a good bond with someone, whether it's the bond of an agreement, whether it's in a contract for work or a house or property or a relationship or a marriage. Mm. Someone says, I will be true to you. I could believe them if I know what their standard of reality is. Yeah. Also, it's, it's not enough to just have the truth, but to express it. Hmm. Well, and I don't think we're ever going to get to have, like, nothing is 100% free of error. Mm -hmm. And that goes into knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. If you knew the truth of what you were, even your vulnerabilities. You know, my mom, because she was in the ballet all those years and was totally obsessed with fitting in her costume, And so we were like sugar and carbs in our household was penalty by death. Uh, So, you know, you don't bring anything in. 
And um, I used to think it was really hilarious, but also pretty awesome that she'd say, don't bring your school cupcakes home, your birthday party cupcakes. I'm not trustworthy with cupcakes. Mm. And I remember having that conversation in first grade. I was like, but mama, we're not allowed to eat them here at home. Somebody gave this to me. I'm saving it. Don't eat it. She was like, Julie, I'm telling you, I will eat it in the middle of the night. What I love about that is she's just saying the truth yeah. about her. And now I can trust that. Yeah. So she, if the world was entirely truthful, mm. trustworthy, would you do something different in your life right now? I would do so much different, I think. I think I would be different. How so? I feel like I hold a lot of parts of me back because I'm not, I don't feel safe in the world. But if I completely, if I knew that I wasn't going to receive anything but trust and truth in return, then my expressions would be a lot different. Wow. Is profound, but I relate to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I hold back. I disappear. I don't just mm-hmm. hold back. I disappear. It's it's my special mm-hmm. talent. Same. <laughs> I retreat. Well, part of it is, I think it's a delicate balance. If you don't trust that you will be received as equal, why would you make a contribution? Mm-hmm. It's a waste. Mm-hmm. And then the other part is. If it's not valuable, why trouble people with your truth? Exactly. Especially since we've inherited such a rich history of a woman like that being killed Mm. or cast away or deemed less than. Sort of like the myth of Eve. Yes. So much has not been rectified. I mean, it gets into the darker shadow of what we're talking about in the mythology. It's the dark lore of the feminine that must be entirely dissipated in the light of the truth of the feminine and its value. There's a horrific, truthful book called Half the Sky. Mm -hmm. It talks about the State of Women in the World, by written by a former Secretary General of the United Nations. Mm. Uh, I believe he and his wife co-wrote the book, but it's a nightmare look at the treatment of the feminine, Mm. even as children around the world. So we have a long ways to go. Yeah. If we don't know it, there's plenty of data. And it's not just around the world. In this country, too, the the level of women that are discarded and girls that are discarded and abused and mistreated and in the best of circumstances mm-hmm. tells you how far we have to come. But how quickly would it take for that to transform if we address the original lore of who we really believe the feminine and its value are to the planet. Mm-hmm. And that would be the solution yeah. in one giant step. Well, it's also for women to wake up and recognize that they're that, you know, after so many mm. years of being told we're something else. Well, we've been gaslit by the world forever. <laughs> 
So Mm. I think we're trying to come into it from a number of different angles, but sometimes it's just coming from existing lore. You know, it's not really empowerment, so to speak. It's something else. We're still using disempowering tactics to empower ourselves like seduction or I don't know. But Mm. I would be so interested in having a think tank with a group of women about what it is that we mean to the planet. Hmm. Because I don't know if we know, and if we did know, I think it would be very different. Hmm. Sushi, I would love to join you in that thing. thing. Mm -hmm. I think you're really talking about the power that happens when you dispel the myths of our lore. And so if we become accountable for what we inherited ourselves, it also would allow the masculine to free itself of what it inherited. You know, we, um, on one of our podcasts, we have our friend Justin Baldoni as our guest, and he just wrote that book about uh, man enough, you know, about being enough. What does it look like for the masculine? Do they have to repair all the damage done in the world? And why so many males feel overwhelmed by that burden. Yeah. The feminine has to do its part by identifying itself and not waiting to be validated and not waiting to be told, yes, you are equal. You don't wait when something is. You have to live it. And I really do think those two things synergistically go hand in hand. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, we're still waiting for something to be handed to us um, Mm. or like a grand apology or something, just some kind of awareness or Mm. confirmation that what we've inherited is true. But I don't think it's ever going to be given to us. You know, it's so interesting. It reminds me of... um, when uh, I had a conversation with um, the near-death experiencer, Daniel Brinkley, mm-hmm. he said, what if there was no such thing as God and there's only you and you are the closest thing to God on earth? Live your whole life that way. That's the most powerful mm-hmm. way to change the planet as a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. That's a shortcut. That's doable. Well. There's a lot of work ahead of us. There sure is. But I'm certainly glad that we have these conversations because it makes the work a lot easier. And something that makes me feel better is that so much of the work is not about really doing anything, but it's just simply by becoming aware. And then I feel like as soon as the awareness, the true awareness happens, then it just kind of starts percolating and unfolding in a natural sort of way, as opposed to you having to necessarily do something all the time. That's a great reframe. Hmm. Otherwise, we're just going to wait another so many decades before we approach (laughs) the discussion of lore again. Yeah. Well, Smushi, until next time. Bye, Smushi. Love you. Bye. Love you. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time.